0: Hello everybody, this week we read a double portion of Chukat and Balak. The class was originally recorded in 5780. Uh, we read a double portion and that year also uh, uh, Shiva Sabre Tammuz fell out on a Thursday and 5780 you'll recognize the references to vaccines. Enjoy. Arashah begins with the laws of the Paraduma, the red heifer. Uh, and this is considered a chok, uh, a law for which we don't have a reason. So the Mishnah tells us that up until the destruction of the Second Temple, we had uh, ashes of the Paraduma. We had a total of nine red cows, and uh, the first one was done by Moshe. The second one was done by Ezra, and the uh, the other seven were done during the Second Temple. We have a list of the names of all of the high priests who were uh, involved in it, and uh, we say that the tenth will be in the time of the Mashiach. The Midrash of Rabbah teaches us that when Moshe went up to Har Sinai, when Moshe went up to heaven to receive the Torah, what did he hear? He heard Hashem was expounding on the laws of the Paraduma. Of this red cow God was quoting Mishnah and was citing the teacher mentioned in the Mishnah by name the Midrash tells us that Moshe heard Hashem say, Rabbi Eliezer says, the Igla Rufa needs to be within the first year, it's a decapitated uh, calf and the Pera needs to come from a calf that has already entered its second year when Moshe Rabbeinu heard this, that Hashem is talking and quoting a certain rabbi, he prayed that this rabbi should be one of his descendants Hashem swore to Moshe that his wish would be granted and it's interesting that that uh, Rabbi Eliezer will be a descendant of Moshe and it all relates to this Paraduma. but the question is how it says when the nations heard about the Paraduma, they would make fun of B'nai Israel, Satan would make fun of B'nai Israel, the question is why The Parad Duma is an example of a decree supposedly beyond the understanding of man. And some say that perhaps it's better not to search for a reason. We have Chukim. These are laws that Hashem gives us. And we have to do them because Hashem tells us to do them. But sometimes we look for a reason in a Chok. One of the Chukim we have is Kashrut. We're not allowed to eat certain animals. They're not considered kosher. But what happens is we start to search for reasons. We search for reasons and we think we understand. So for example, we have geniuses who come and tell us that the reason why Hashem commanded Bnei Israel not to eat a pig, not to eat pork, was because pork is dangerous. And God forbid if we eat pork, we could get trichinosis. It's called the trichinosis theory. It says that what happens? Pork gets people sick. So the Torah was demanding of Bnei Israel that we avoid illness and we don't eat pork. And remember, uh, they're saying all this, but trichinosis was not discovered till 1859, yet it became the explanation already back to ancient times. Now many in the reform movement said, oh, now we know how to save someone and make sure he doesn't get trichinosis by cooking the meat a certain way. Therefore, there's no reason not to eat pork today, so we could eat pork. And so we begin with a reason not to have reasons. You know, once we start making reasons and we believe that the reasons we have are the correct reasons, then we start to think we know God's mind. And when those reasons disappear, we say, ah, we don't need to do it anymore. Nashlo HaMelech, King Solomon, was said to be the wisest of all men. He asked Hashem when he became king, Hashem asked him, what do you want? He was 12 years old when his father David HaMelech died and, 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 and King Solomon became king. And he prayed to Hashem that Hashem should give him knowledge. Knowledge. And Hashem gives him this gift of knowledge, and it's said to be the wisest of all people. And we see that, Moshe, that, that Shlomo HaMelech, he writes, Mishlei Proverbs, Kohelet, Shir Hashirim. And if anyone understood the Taameh HaMitzvot, a guy who could talk to animals, a guy who understood what each each thing growing in the field every vegetation could uh, can do and how it could help and protect us if this person he, he if anyone could understand the tameh of the mitzvot the reasons of the mitzvot it would be shlomo HaMelech. yet shlomo HaMelech writes that this was far from him rabbi said he didn't understand i once heard a rabbi give a speech he said you know imagine Young Shlomo HaMelech, young King Solomon, he comes into the synagogue on Shabbat, of Shabbat HaParshat Kukat, And he leans over to his rabbi, Shimon ben Gera. It's interesting, he ends up killing him because of his father's orders. And he says, Rabbi, I understand all the mitzvot in the Torah, but I can't understand one thing. I can't understand the laws of Paraduma. And the question is, what was it difficult for, for him to understand? What is it that people make fun of that the rabbis say, the goyim making fun of the, the the Torah describes how the ashes of the paraduma were mixed with some other ingredients, and then mixed with water. And simultaneously, what they did when when that water was uh, applied to the person is it purified an impure individual, someone who wasn't pure, who had this tamav of, of met. He says this person becomes pure, but it causes. A person to become impure. That was the question. If this magic water was designed in order to purify people from the worst types of Tumah, how is it possible that this holy water made the individual who prepared it impure? To the point where he had to refrain from contact with other people for the rest of the day. But once it was prepared, that very same water was used to purify people who would become impure through their contact with the dead. So here we have the ashes of the red cow, which simultaneously made some people impure while purified others. The rabbis wondered, either this liquid concoction should purify or it should create impurity. Not both. How could it do both, at least simultaneously? It seems to defy logic. Sun came out. We're going to move around to the other side. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Okay. <laughs> so how can it seems to defy logic how is it possible for the same water that purifies to also cures cause impurity but if we examine the process perhaps we get some ideas as to how this is possible especially given some knowledge in preparation of things which can cure a recipient and contaminate the maker at the same time so google on Monday revealed that vaccine related searches reached a new record high. You can't get through a newscast. You can't get through the newspaper. You can't even get through a conversation today without someone mentioning vaccine. When are they gonna discover? When are they gonna come out with the vaccine? So I looked up the history of vaccines. I learned that long ago, the Chinese recognized that people who had contracted smallpox once, were immune to reinfection. They came up with the idea of preserving scabs from individuals who had suffered mild cases, drying them out, crushing them in a powder, and blowing them up the nostril. What they did was, for boys, they blew it in the right nostril. For girls, they blew it in the left nostril. Well, because it was the 15th century, and maybe they understood Kabbalah, and they had a gift from Abraham Avinu who sent his six youngest sons to the east with gifts, the sons of Keturah. So if the Chinese were the first out of the gate in attempting to develop a vaccine against smallpox, in the 18th century, we have the physician Edward Jenner, who is credited with developing the first safe and reliable version of a vaccine. Jenner, like others in his time, noticed that milkmaids who as a result of their work contracted cases of cowpox, a disease that could be transferred from cattle to human, would typically be immune and spared from a smallpox infection whenever there was a local outbreak. Cowpox was apparently dissimilar enough from smallpox to cause only comparatively minor symptoms in people, but similar enough to confer immunity against the human form of the disease. So what he does is an experiment in 1796, just try to imagine a doctor doing this today. They'd arrest him and throw him away, throw away the key. Jenner harvested bits of cowpox from a milkmaid named Sarah Nelms and scratched it into the arm of an eight-year-old boy named James Phipps on May 14, 1796. Afterwards, he tried to infect Phipps, an eight-year-old boy, with human smallpox but the boy simply shook off the virus. Two years later Jenish published the results in a book that went to it went by the less than reader friendly title an inquiry into the causes and effects of the variole vaccine, which is I guess cowpox, uh, a disease discovered in some of the western countries of England known by the name of Cowpox. Still, the content, if not the marketing plan, was a sensation. By 1801, an estimated 100,000 people had been vaccinated using the same method. So the word vaccine actually comes from the Latin word DACA for cow. So it doesn't have anything to do with our cow, with our paraduma. When we examine the laws of the paraduma, we know that the cow must be completely red. Even two white or black hairs disqualify it. The cow must be a female, but never having been pregnant. It must be either in its second year or two years old. There's a difference of opinion in the Gemara, and we'll touch upon that a little later. It never works, never was allowed to work. If it had worked, it's disqualified, never had a yoke on its neck. So we take this cow, we slaughter the cow outside the camp, and the Kohen takes from the blood with his left hand, specifically left hand, and then sprinkles with the right hand. They then take this whole cow, the whole carcass of the cow, and they burn it. But where do they burn it? The Mishnah tells us that it's a mitzvah leharbot etzin. It's a mitzvah to have lots and lots of wood. So they make a giant pyre, which can be an entire lumber yard. Imagine a football field filled with lumber, piled up as high as you can imagine And then we take in this football field on the top of this huge, huge pile of wood, our two-year-old calf. And we burn the whole thing with fire. Whatever bones are left from the cow are ground into a mixture of ashes. And for all practical purposes, probably 99 or 99.9% of what we have there is wood ashes because we have so much wood. And we have 0.1% or 1 in 1,000, maybe, of cow. And we have all of these ashes. And we can't forget while it's burning, to toss into that burning fire one branch of cedar from a cedar tree and some zata, some hyssop, tied together with a red string. And that goes into the, into the pile to be burned. Once we have this huge pile of ashes, a pure person gathers them. All of the ashes he gathers into probably what was sealed drums and places them into a safe dry storage. We then draw spring water, mayim chayim, living water, as the water of a mikveh. We place the water into a barrel and we sprinkle on top of the barrel of water, some ashes of the water. Now, if we analyze this mixture, which is called the water of the paraduma, we have ashes, which constitute perhaps 0.1% of the water, because we're only sprinkling some ashes on top of the water. And within the ashes themselves, there's only 0.1% of cow. And therefore, in this whole barrel, There's probably one one one-millionth, think about it, a thousand times a thousand, one one one-millionth of para, of ka. According to the rabbis, we have to remember, the color red represents the negative, the left side, negative. I was taught when we pray the Amidah and we say Eloke Abraham, we should visualize a white light. This is the chesed associated with Abraham. When we say Elokei Yitzchak, we visualize red. Red is associated with Geburah, the left side. We associate it also with the Akeda. And finally, we have Yaakov, green. Green represents Tif Eret, is the balance. Generally, we have the male side represents Chesed, it's the giver, while the female represents the receiver, the Geburah this cow was never pregnant obviously had no children never nursed a child and never did any work this cow never did nothing for nobody this cow is all about Givurah, all about din all about receiving for one's own self this cow this para represents the complete opposite of chesed and kindness Furthermore, we mentioned it has to be two years old or in the second year. We always associate the number two with the second day of creation. Of all the days of creation, it was the second day where Hashem did not utter the words that it was good. All the other days, and the third day, we have Tuesday. When people say Tuesday is the lucky day because we have Kitov, Kitov. Twice we have Kitov. But on Monday, no Kitov. Second day, no Kitov. Rabbi Hanina explained, because the separation was brought to being on the second day. As indicated, where Hashem says, let the firmament, yehid, aqid, the firmament should separate, ben mayim lamayim. It's in regard to this that the rabbis note, that the mention it was good about an act of separation is not there. He says, we don't we don't describe an act of disarray, an act of separation, an act of machloket, of division, with the words, it was good. So day two is not labeled as good because disunity is born. Although the divisions of creation are ultimately productive, leading to the miraculous reality of the world we live in today, division is caustic and painful and deeply damaging. Hence the absence of kitov, on the second day. Furthermore, the rabbis associate the second day with the creation of Gehinam, with the creation of hell. So everything about this para represents a desire to receive for myself, not to give along, not to do anything further, to stop with me, to completely completely look at the left side, at the side of deen, the side of judgment, the side we're calling negativity. Everything about this parat is negative. Go even further. We've often said that the negative forces in the world that were released when Adam sinned are represented by the five ending letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, and then it has five ending letters. These ending letters are called Man Sapach. That man Sapach simply is the mem sofit, the nun sofit, the tsadi sofit, the pe sofit, and the kaf sofit. These letters represent the evil in the world, the klipa in the world, which has to be eliminated. And we see that this elimination begins with the avot. We see the Pasha lech lecha. Hashem tells Abraham lech go le to. Cha, the Chaf Sophit, the first of the letters. You eliminate the evil from the Chaf Sophit. We see that Yitzchak will come and eliminate the evil from the Mem. We see that Yaakov will eliminate it from the Nun. We see that Yosef will eliminate it from the Peh. And the Mashiach will come eventually from Hirabi and eliminate it from the Tzadik. So these five letters represent the negativity. If we take the gematria, the numerical value of these five letters, and we combine that numerical value with the number five, which is the five letters, we have 285, which is also the gematria of para, of this calf, of this cow. So what we're doing is we're burning this negativity in the fire, and that fire is somewhat neutralized by the balancing, Wood, a fraction of a percentage of the negativity is within that wood, within those ashes. Then we take this fraction of negativity, which is within the ashes of the wood, and we combine it in the water, so that if you look in the water, the negativity is a microscopic part of the living water. The living water purifies, gives, it's chesed. And what do we do? We just put enough of the negativity that we can understand in our time to act as a vaccine, a spiritual vaccine, which allows the person to battle the negativity of the tumah. And now how come one can become purified with it, but the one who's doing it, who's making it, is not purified? Again, we can understand. When making vaccines, the lab workers must be protected in hazmat suits. They're dealing with very negative material. They must come in pure and must be decontaminated upon leaving. Thus the vaccine, which could save many and bring a cure to many at the same time, can potentially be damaging to the creator, to the maker. So perhaps one of the answers to explain the confusion within the laws of the Paraduma is that it really wasn't the Chinese who invented the vaccine. And the source of vaccine is truly in the word Vakka, but not from cowpox, rather from the Parah duma, It says, Zot Chukat hat-tora. this is the Chokh of the Torah. Asheh Siva Hashem lemor, that Hashem commanded, saying, Dabera elecha, they should bring to you Moshe, Parah duma, temima. This Parah duma, this red cow, is brought specifically to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now we see that these laws, we're reading these laws, the para is being brought in the second year, in the second day of the year of the second year. So they've been in the desert a year, and now one day into the next year we have the para. The question is, where did this para come from? If we follow the opinion that the para had to be at least two full years, that means the para had to be around in Egypt a year before. Plus, they left. If we say that the slavery stopped a year before they left when the plagues began, then during that year the Parah was born, B'nai Israel could have had that Parah. When they get to Marah, Hashem tells them the laws of the Parah so they know, hey, watch this red cow so we know to keep it from working or doing anything. And therefore, some say you have to follow the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, who says it's in the second year. Otherwise, where'd the cow come from? The Midrash says, oh, they found a red cow walking in the desert. It would be very hard for them to have taken it from Egypt and have the cow never have a yoke, never have work, and be able to fulfill all the obligations. So going further, the ashes from this cow, this first one that Moshe burned, were used through the entire history of paraduma. Because every time they had a new paraduma, they mixed the original ashes with the new ashes. So there was still a percentage of this original para in every set of ashes throughout the centuries. And even the tenth will be named for Moshe Rabenu. We associate all of the of the of the Paraduma, all of the red cows, as the Paraduma of Moshe Rabenu. The Mishnah and the Rambam explained. We mixed each time with the original ashes, so therefore they're always connected to Moshe. Then Moshe brings the parat to El Azar HaKohen, the assistant of Aaron. Why do we give it to the assistant to take out of the camp and slaughter? Generally, we slaughter everything by the altar. Here, we have to go outside the camp. Later times, when we have a Ber HaMikdash, they had to go across the way to Harazitim. Even though the mikdash and the altar, here we have a special halakha to do it outside. It wasn't allowed on the altar. If it's so important, the most important seeming thing because we can't do anything without it, why not in the mikdash? The nations make fun. What kind of magic that we change all the rules? We call it korban, but it's not a korban. The assistant merely supervises someone else, not even a kohan could slaughter. It seems it should be, a, here it seems it should be a non-kohen while the kohen, what's going on? If it's so important, why would a non-kohen be able to slaughter? Like we mentioned, he takes it with his left hand, moves it to his right hand. He looks at the entrance of the mishkan, he sprinkles seven times, same in the mishkan, in the mikdash. There he sprinkles it towards the team, the mount of olives. The kohen takes the blood, he sprinkles it towards the entrance of the mikdash. The Saraf we burn the whole cow, as we mentioned. We have a lot of wood. The la and now the Kohen takes Et it is he takes a branch of cedar and some Zata, some Hyssop, and a red string, and he ties the wood and the Hyssop, the Zata together and he throws it in the fire. For what? What are we adding this little the branch and the and the Zata and the red string into this giant fire? What's it gonna do? We mentioned he draws the mayim chayim, he sprinkles some ashes. Belakach ezov, more zata, more hisa. taval he dips it in the water and then he sprinkles with the, with the zata. It has to do with the third day and the seventh day. It's crucial. We have to have this because we're commanded to come to the Mishkan, to the Ben three times a year. We cannot come without being purified. And it's very easy to become Tamemet. Now, all of the reasoning behind the laws of Para Duma, it's not that there's no reason. It's not that there's a chok and we don't understand at all why. The rabbis tell us the secret of the Para Duma was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. No one else understands the secret of the Para Duma other than Moshe Rabbeinu. Shilomo, as we mentioned in his wisdom, he couldn't figure it out. It's interesting. Shilomo is the same letters as. Le Moshe. Shalomon, Moshe, same. If it's so crucial, why hide the secret? If there's no reason, okay, it's a chok, just do it because I said so. But if there's a reason, why only give the reason to Moshe and nobody else? Why can't anyone else understand? So we mentioned the para represents the ultimate of the left side. Red, blood, fire, no work, no children, no nursing, two years old. Chesed always represents the flow. It's the flow. What happens is I receive and then I give. I'm a channel, a flow. That's chesed. I have to give, but in order to give, I have to receive. I'm a channel. Givurah is stop. Stop on the bottom. If we take water and we let it flow, it doesn't spoil. But when we take water and we let it sit, what happens? It becomes horrible. You can't, we can't have the water standing. We have to let it flow. The negative side is represented by stop. That's why we understand man sapach, Those letters, the sofit, the end letters, they stop. We don't go beyond them. They represent negativity. Spiritual vaccine, like we mentioned. Rashi writes that Hashem declared the mitzvah of para aduma to be a chok, or a divine decree with no rationale. He mentions that Shlomo HaMelech said, I can understand everything but this. Yet Rashi also writes in the name of Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan that the Parah Duma serves as an atonement for the sin of the Egel HaZahav, of the golden calf. And then he proceeds to explain each detail of the laws of the Parah Duma and how those laws atone for the golden calf. After explaining that the paraduma is the quintessential chok, this is it. This is chok with words we don't understand. How can Rashi then go and explain the rationale behind the mitzvah in great detail? Additionally, in what way did the specific mitzvah affect atonement for the sin of the golden calf? How does the paraduma, the rabbis tell us, the paraduma is the golden calf, and paraduma is the red is the red cow? The golden calf is the Egel HaZahav. The rabbis give an example. It says, let the mother come and clean up for the child. The king had a housekeeper. The housekeeper was in the palace. son came to work one day. He made a mess and the king said, call the mother to clean up for the child. So the parah is gonna come clean up for the Egel, how? The Midrash tells us, and we're gonna look now what the Arizal says, and he's gonna explain it in a way that really affects Us in our own lives. But in this period that we begin, we begin this week on Thursday is Shabbat Tammuz, 17th of Tammuz. And how we go through this period, it's dangerous, some people call it unlucky. We start the laws of the three weeks, it's a period of deen, it's a period to be careful. Darizal explains based on the Midrash in Bereshit. It says, Avraham Avinu. Avraham lifts his eyes, Vayar, and he sees, Vahine Sha Anashim. There are three people coming. So remember the story. Avraham Avinu is commanded to get a Brit lot when he's 99 years old. On the third day, it's very hot outside. He's sitting in front of his tent. Hashem made it hot so people wouldn't come, guests wouldn't come. But Avraham was depressed. I want guests. So Hashem brings the three angels to him. He's sitting at the front, and he sees them. And he says, By behold my masters, matzati chen be'enecha, if I found favour in your eyes. Al do not leave your servant. You mayim, take a little bit of water, and wash your feet and sit under the tree. The Rabbi say, Why does he want to wash their feet first? He suspected that they have dust on their feet and their the local uh, nomads in the desert and they worship the dust of their feet as Abu Dazara. So he brings water, lean under the tree, takes some bread, eat and pass through. It says then Ve'el rats Abraham. Abraham runs to the cow, to the to the uh, cattle. But he takes a, a a young cow and what is he gonna do? He's gonna give it to the boy to slaughter. Maybe the boy was Ishmael, maybe Eliezer. The rabbis explain that the parah duma is bischut Avraham Avinu. Avraham says, "You Take a little bit of water. That water is the water we mix with the ashes. The parah duma is in zichut that Avraham went to give his guest the bakar. He went to give each of the guests a tongue from the each from his own uh, own calf. Later in the portion." We see Abraham says, I'm dust and ashes. Therefore, because he said he's dust and ashes, the ashes of the red cow are b'zchut Abraham. Rashi, as we mentioned, says it's kapara of the golden calf. The red cow is forgiveness of the egel of the golden calf. What's the comparison? How does one relate to the other? Darizal explains, To understand the concept of the paraduma, We have to understand what Hashem wants from us. Abraham is 99 years old. He's looking for guests, he's waiting. He sees dust on their feet, might be idolatry, runs to bring them water. Abraham is looking for guests and he's looking to have the world overcome the aspect of Avodah Zarah. Of course he wants guests, but the key is he wants to overcome Avodah Zarah. He wants them to recognize Hashem. Don't bring the Avodah in my house. It's crucial, the water. And he feeds them. His assistant's going to slaughter. So you have what to eat. Abraham looks at himself as a partner with Hashem. When they finish eating, he says to them, No money, just bless and thank Hashem. Everything we do has to be Lashem Shammai, for the sake of Hashem. Abraham says, He's my master. I am dust and ashes. The humility, the Anavut of Abraham, the Kiddush Hashem of Abraham, the realization that Abraham is working for Hashem or partnering with Hashem. He is my master. This is humility. This is the concept of Abraham. We come out of Egypt. Three days later, we come to Marah. No water. Bitter water. We complain. Nothing to drink. Hashem tells Moshe, Take the olive tree, toss it into the water. What happens? The bitter water becomes sweet. Chok umishpat. There we learned Chok umishpat, including the laws of the red cow. Darizal says this is the secret of the cow of the ashes and the water. Water runs to its lowest place. Water represents humility. Ashes represents humility. Humility is the key to having an understanding of the concept of Paraduma. The more humility a person has, the more they can understand this concept from Hashem. Rambam says if someone wants to have true emunah, true belief in Hashem, they need to go outside, they need to contemplate the universe and see how awesome and great. They have to begin to appreciate the concept of makom, of the place. Appreciate what Hashem is, appreciate how small we are. When we realize how small we are, we have humility, and through humility we can begin to grasp the concept of Akadosh Farakur Vashem. The first humble person we have is our forefather, Avraham Avinu, who says, Ani afar I'm dust and ashes. He runs to his guest. He's a rich man. What does he need to run to his guest? He washes their feet. No avodah around in the house. But in his state, in great pain, he ignores the pain of the brit milah. He ignores the heat of the day. He takes the bull to, to the assistant to slaughter. He goes to great expense. All for what? To share with his guest the greatness of Hashem. A way of understanding that this is the kapara for the Egyel is b'schut Abraham Avinu. How do we understand? We mentioned last week that when Bnei Yisnael left Egypt, they left with abundant wealth. Shlomo HaMelech alludes to this in Shir HaShirim. Rashi explains that spangles of silver and circlets of gold refer to the booty of Egypt, while the gold is the booty that they found at the sea. Hence, two forms of atonement were necessary. The para Duma was designed to atone for its offspring, the calf, the colors red and gold are related. The chatzim, machasit shekel, the half shekel, stems from the silver, while the para aduma, the red, relates to the gold. The half shekel reminds us that everything's half, everything we should look at is half. It should be very humble. This allows us to understand Moshe Rabbeinu's argument. He turns to Hashem and he says, You know why they worship the Egel? Because he gave them so much material wealth. This is represented by the heavenly ox located on the left side of the chariot of Hashem. This explains the relationship between the machasit ha and the sin of the egel. For the sin of the egel of the golden calf, involved the pursuit of wealth. And as we learn from the Kaliakar, the machasit ha is designed to teach us that we should suffice with half of what we crave. So that a person only wants double what he has. We should learn to live with half how does bringing a paraduma uproot and abolish one's desire for gold and riches? How do we answer that? The Gemara says that when the rabbis sought to purchase a paraduma, they came to the goy. His name was Dama ben Netina. He comes to him and they say, "We need it." He says to them, "I know the value. I know I could ask you for all the money in the world, but all I want is such and such." it's now apparent why this mitzvah constitutes atonement for the sin of lusting after the golden calf and the pursuit of excessive wealth for in order to fulfill the mitzvah it was necessary to expend even all the money in the world see how this sheds light on the meaning of hashem's statement to moshe after the sin of the golden calf he says on the day that i make my account i shall hold them accountable for the sin rashi says whenever b'nei israel held accountable for the sins They're going to be held accountable also for the sin of the Egel. For there's no punishment that comes upon Bnei Israel that within it doesn't have a little bit of the punishment of the Egel. But according to what we learn, we can understand the root and source of all evil, of all sins in every generation stems from the same element that brought about the idolatry and the worshipping of the golden calf. The Torah tells us, You're going to come to forget Hashem by not observing His commandments. You're going to eat. You're going to be satisfied. You're going to build houses. You're going to settle. Your cattle and your sheep will increase. You'll have more gold and more silver. And everything you have will increase. Hashem's going to bless you. And what's going to happen? You're going to be haughty and you're going to forget Hashem who took you out of the land of Egypt. And you're going to say, My strength and the might of my hand made me all this wealth then you're going to remember Hashem your God who was with you, who gave you the strength to make wealth Hashem is warning us I'm going to bless you but be careful of the blessing because the blessing is going to cause you to forget Hashem this tells us that the impetus for forgetting and abandoning Hashem evolves from this excessive quest for silver and gold this is the sin of the golden calf and that's why in every generation it's a similar sin to us Says that Abraham says he's going to get water right away. He sees the dust. He suspects the dust is Avodara Zara. How great was Hashem in the eyes? The ashes are compared to Abraham Avino. The first appearance of the word ashes is with regard to Abraham. Because Abraham is concerned for Hashem. This mitzvah of duma is Zechut of Abraham. It's of the Egel. Slaughter it outside because Abraham slaughtered the bull outside. The red cow is compared to the bull. Ask the assistant to do it as Abraham asked the assistant to prepare. We see point by point a comparison to Abraham. A regular compare person could compare. You didn't need the coin. You didn't need Abraham. Just like he sent it to someone else, anyone else. Same as Moshe. Moshe says he's nothing. Moshe is the most humble ever. He's a continuation of his ancestor of Abraham. And he's going to be able to understand the para'aduma, because to understand the para'aduma, a person has to have humility. A person has to have humility. Why couldn't Shilomuhammelech understand, says the Arizah? It says because Shilomuhammelech was this great king who built this great mikdash, and even a greater palace than the mikdash that he built. And, Moshe, and Shlomo HaMelech simply lacked an aspect of anavut, of humility. He said, sometimes the laws don't apply to me. A king shouldn't have too much gold. A king shouldn't have too much horses. A king shouldn't have too much wives. But me, I won't be affected. That's Gava. He did not reach the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe gets to heaven. He's so humble when he gets to heaven that what is he here? Hashem is talking about what? The laws of para aduma. Because the para aduma is the forgiveness of the egel. Moshe says to Hashem, I wish my descendant will be a rabbi Eliezer. Talk about it. He's praying that forgiveness can come about through the red cow. Moshe's main concern was that Bnei Israel should be forgiven. It's his entire life focus. He fought for them always. This is what the Arizal explains. The para is a source of faith. The branches of the olive tree piled up in wood. Some Zata, Sugula, the Zata is the lowest growing, lowest growing plant. It's Sugula, humility. Ayin hara, people would carry around the Zata. A Zov bush resembles, reminds us of humility. The cedar, very tall, very tall to remember. The sin is ga'ava, the Zata represents the low, the red string tying it together, the red string the same as the red para. The secret of the para is for us to learn humility, to overcome the negativity with humility. The water is similar to the water of Abraham. We dip the zata again, we sprinkle it, we purify. The humility is the person who understands who is Hashem. This is the secret and the kapara. The golden calf, it caused death and it brought death. We had returned to a level of Adam before the sin, and then we screw up, we mess up. The para is the medicine. It brings eternal life through humility. It gives forgiveness of Abu Dazarah. We have to remember now as we enter these three weeks, it's a dangerous time. The key to protection, the key to humility, the key is, the key is to have humility, and that's the way to protect ourselves. We should be able to have the humility to restore emunah and we should be zocher, the redemption. We see the situation in the world. Hukat reminds us that the only way to do this is to have humility and faith even when we don't fully understand. We finally should see in the Haftarah that we're going to read this week. It's interesting, we have a double perashat. And when I put in the newsletter this week, I put an article from Rabbi Mansur where he talks about this parashat, Balak, that he talks about that the Hatara comes from the book of Bichat that we read in this double perasha. And there the Navi is urging us to remember the kindness of Hashem and the way Balak and Bil'am plan to annihilate Am Israel by placing a curse upon them. The Prophet tells us precisely what Hashem wants from us in exchange for his, for his kindness. What is it that Hashem asks from you other than performing justice, loving kindness, and the most important, walking humbly with your God. It seems clear that performing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly are what we are to learn from Bil'am's negative example. Bil'am represents the antithesis of the proper way to live. And thus on Shabbat, we read the story of Bil'am, we read the Prophet's admonition to learn from Bil'am to act in the opposite manner. It's interesting that in Pirkei Avot the Rabbis tell us Who is the opposite of Bil'am? Avraham. Avraham is the opposite of Bil'am. When Balak's officials come to Bil'am, they ask him to place a curse on B'nai Israel. Hashem appears to Bil'am, he asks, who are these people? And Bil'am says like, Hashem doesn't know? Who does he think he is? He has this tremendous ga'ava. The Midrash points to this incident as one of several times in Tanakh when Hashem poses a rhetorical question. And the person answers arrogantly, thinking Hashem really doesn't understand and doesn't and needs the information. Bil'am should have realized that Hashem understood and Hashem disapproved. Yet Bil'am had arrogance, and that was the reason of his downfall. As we begin the three weeks, we search for protection. Just as Hashem protected B'nai Israel from Balak, just as Hashem protected B'nai Israel from the curses of Bil'am, And just as they were not even aware that they were being cursed, they were not even aware of the danger, we pray that Hashem protect us even when we're unaware. And how? How should Hashem protect us? And what should we deserve to be protected? The Rabbi would always tell us, Rabbi Avitan would say, we deserve nothing. Everything's b'zchut avot. In the merit of our forefathers. In the merit of Abraham, of Yitzhak, of Yaakov. In the merit of Sarah, of Rivka, of Rachel, and Leah. In the merit of the Avot, what does that mean in the merit? That we're just relying on that? No, the merit of the Avot can possibly mean in the merit of us doing like the Avot. In the merit of us walking the earth the way they walk the earth. In the merit of us being partners with Hashem and spreading His name and doing the right thing in the merit of us acting humbly. The Paradumah is a miraculous thing, but how does it work and how is it understood? Only through humility. Bezrat Hashem, we're gonna go through the summer, still tough times. We should have this concept of Abraham's humility. We should remember that we're just afar v'efer, dust and ashes, and everything we have is from Hashem. And just like Hashem blessed Abraham, Hashem will bless us. And it's that Hashem. Hashem will bring Mashiach. To the Rabbi Ameno. And that Mashiach will come and bring the tenth, the tenth paradumah. And that tenth Paraduma, we should use to be able to open the Bet HaMikdash. And we should have the Bet HaMikdash. And all of us should be together speedily nowadays. Thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you everybody for listening. We're going to bring our assistants to open up the chapter.